Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We're going to start talking about uh, Jesus, okay? Cool. I want you to think for just a minute, okay? I want you to sort of envision for a minute that you are gifted by God, that you are gifted by God to open the Bible and to read the words out of the Bible and to explain them to people so that they make sense. And that you are gifted by God to explain those things in such a way that people come to faith. People who had no faith in Jesus. They come to faith. And people who did have faith in Jesus, their faith grows because of your explanation of the scriptures. That you are faithful in teaching the Bible. Imagine for a minute that, that people got saved because you were preaching the word of God. Can you imagine that? I know some of you are like, I'm not a public speaker. What are you talking about? But just pretend, right? Just pretend. And that over a period of time, people grew in an understanding of Scripture, and your character, no matter what your character is today, just imagine that your character was above reproach. Like there's no way anybody could discredit your teaching based on your character if they, where they could point and say, yeah, but your life doesn't look like that. Can you imagine that? That you could stand up and communicate God's word clearly and very clearly you were gifted. And those of you who would know, we might call that calling, wouldn't we? We'd say, it seems like God has called you to this, right? Now imagine that people came up to you after you did this for a period of time and they said, you're prideful for wanting to communicate God's word. You're prideful. You're arrogant because what you wanted to do was the thing that you were gifted to do. Imagine what they said was, you know, you are outside of the will of God because you're the wrong gender. And you sat for a minute, you said, but people come to faith based on my expositing the scriptures. And I'm faithful to historical understanding of the Bible. What do you mean I'm outside of the will of God? Can you imagine that? I would say if you're a man, it's probably really hard to imagine that that would ever be the case. If you're like me, I've never been in a room where somebody said, hey, you're a dude, you're outside the will of God because you want to talk about Jesus to people and preach the Bible to people. Nobody has ever said that to me. Nobody has ever discounted me because I was a man. It's never happened once. They've discounted me for other reasons but never because I'm a man. And so I would imagine that for many of you who are men, you would say, well, this experience that you're describing is nonsense. I can't even conceive of that possibility. If you're a minority, you know that experience of having to sort of tread the, 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 around the elephants in the room, wondering if people are going to accept me just because of who I am. But half of the population... More than half of the population, the women in the room, would say, maybe I'm not a preacher, but I know that experience. 
That experience has been perpetuated on me in churches all my life. Right? And many of you women would say, I, I know that experience of being discounted in the church because I'm a woman. You know that experience. We started this series a couple of weeks ago called Asking for a Friend, and we're looking at actual questions that you have submitted. And a few weeks ago, we started with, how can I know God is real? Last week, we talked about, is God male? And today, we're going to look at this question. What's a woman's role in the kingdom? What's a woman's role in the kingdom of God? Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Scripture. Would you pray with me? So, Jesus, I thank you that you've come so close. God, that you've gifted us, that you've empowered us, that you've given us your scriptures, and that your heart, Lord, is to draw every person to yourself. So I pray, God, that you today would stir gifts of faith in people. I pray today, God, that we would be able to see your truth clearly. And I pray today, God, that, that there would be things broken off that have been carried for years. Would you set people free today? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to take you on a journey. You ready? I don't, my just, so, just true confession, my preference is to take one passage out of this and explain it all the way to the bottom. And these questions that you all have asked, man, they're challenging me big time. So just want you to know, real talk, I'm like trying to figure out this, like, this different way of, of preaching, but I want to take you on a journey as we consider this question. And the journey that I want to take you on is from cover to cover in the Bible. Trust me, I'm not going to read it all. You should do that on your own time. I promise you, you will benefit by doing it. But I want to take you on a journey, and what I hope you're going to see is how God has designed men and women to function in the kingdom. So we're going to look at some things, and of course, any good story, we start at the beginning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 26. If you know the, the story, it's the creation story, there's this sort of poetic way that God communicates how everything came to be. And verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Like I said last week, when God created humanity to be his image bearers in the world, he said it wasn't enough to have men. It wasn't enough. That we can't capture the image of God by just creating men. It takes men and women together. That there's something significant about both men and women. 
And in Genesis 1 here, what we find is that the command that God gives to humanity is to team rule. Did you see that? It's to co-rule. He says, uh, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. He didn't say, men, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and women hang out and look pretty. It's not what he said. He said, both of you, team rule. The first biblical revelation of how men and women interact, the way God created it, was co-ruling, was team ruling. There's no hierarchy in that statement. It's a team rule. But then we get to the next chapter, right? Genesis chapter 2. If you're following along, it's probably the next page. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds in the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Genesis 2 is a different perspective about how humanity was created, right? It's a picture that man was created first, but like God said at the beginning, it takes more than just man to reflect my image. He said, it's not good for a man to be alone. He has to have a helper. And some of you would say, aha, the woman has the helper. See, Derek, you're wrong. That means she's subservient to him. It's not co-rule. You're crazy. But this is not true for at least two reasons. Number one, God already said that men and women co-lead. God already said it's co-rule. Number two is the Hebrew word here translated as helper is azer. The same word that's used throughout the Old Testament to describe how God relates to Israel. And how many of you are comfortable with God just being subservient to the nation of Israel? I mean, we're in America, right? Don't we generally think about God sort of being subservient to who we are? Isn't that sort of the posture that we take? No, not, not us. We wouldn't be comfortable with that, would we? Because that's not the design. God helps Israel in the same way that woman helps man. That's what's happening here. The reason that we end up making this twisted interpretation comes in the very next chapter. Chapter 3. Those of you who know your Bible real well, chapter 3 is called the fall, right? And it's the place where sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, this co-ruling thing happens and it gets fractured. This team rule gets broken. Look at, uh, look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now what does it mean when it says your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you? It could mean a lot of things, right? What does it mean for your desire to be for your husband? That word is only used two other times in the whole Old Testament, desire. One is in Song of Songs, and if you know that, it's like biblical, it's graphic, right? Almost, almost, Nate, almost said it, right? It's fairly graphic, and it's, it's sexual in nature, right? That's one place where it's used, but the closer place that that word gets used is in Genesis Four, where God tells Cain, hey, sin desires to master you, 
but you must master it. And this word for desire is saying mastering over one another. So here's what this means. What God says is that since sin has entered the world, no longer are you going to team rule over all creation. You're going to try to team rule over each other. You're going to try to take power over each other, and you're going to be in constant battle with one another. And what God says is, woman, because you're generally physically a little bit weaker, the man is going to win most of the time. That's how the whole world works, right? Outside of this body, outside of the church, that's how the whole world works, right? The strong win. So it always works. It's why people end up enslaved and dominated. It's because the strong win, and that's the way that the world outside here works. And God says, because sin has entered the world, that's what's going to happen to you. And here's the deal. God's not saying, this is now how the world will work because that's what I want. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, now that sin entered the world, let's abandon creation plan. We're going to like come up with plan B. And plan B now is that men are in charge of women, and that's how this works. You say, well, Derek, how can you know? How can you be so sure that that's the way it works? You see, if God were changing in Genesis 3 how things were supposed to function, when women got over the top of men... God would tear it down. It would be thought of as a bad thing. God would certainly not let that happen, but that's not what happens. God blesses women in the Old Testament to be prophets. Miriam co-leads with Moses for a while until they end up after each other. Deborah is a prophet over the nation of Israel. Huldah in 2 Kings 22. We don't have a lot of examples of women leading in high roles, But it's like I said, generally speaking, it's because the man is physically more powerful and they dominate the women. That's the way it works. But God's not opposed to women being co-leaders or in charge of things. What I want you to understand here is that relationships where one person dominates the other is not the biblical ideal. That's not the way God created the world. It's the way it works when sin gets in. Do you see that? Because if you miss that, It becomes really hard to think about family relationships. It gets really hard to think about the way things are supposed to work in the church. A lot of this dialogue, when you think about the way that this conversation happens in the church, we abandon the idea that God created it to be team rule, and we just say, well, here's a verse that says that women are supposed to be subservient to men. And we cherry pick things, and we don't think about it in the context of the whole of uh, narrative of Scripture. What I need you to understand is that one person being over another is consequence of sin. It's not the original design. If Mark went here, I would say, it's a bug, it's not a feature. That's not how this is supposed to work. People over other people is not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be team rule. So then, how do we as followers of Jesus move forward? If that's the case... What does it mean to follow Jesus? See, when Jesus came, if you've ever read the book of John, and you get at the very beginning of John, John chapter 1, if you've ever read that, you go, this sounds a lot like Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning. And what John is saying, new creation has begun in Jesus. 
And what John is saying is that in Jesus, all things are being made new. That in Jesus, God is putting things back the way they were intended to be. I think you could see the connection. That when Jesus comes and sin is undone and the works of the enemy are undone, what ought to happen is that team rule comes back. That we work together, men and women, to lead in the body of Christ. But you know as as well as I do, it's not just a hard stop, right? Creation came out of nothing. We can just say what it is, right? But there's a little bit of momentum as we get into the New Testament, right? Sin has like a head start. Things are broken in advance. So when Jesus shows up and team rule becomes a thing in the body of Christ again, it's less of a hard start. It's more of an undoing. It's a reversal of what's gone wrong, and it takes time. So what you see Jesus doing is starting a process. So Jesus, he takes women disciples. That's shocking. It's not shocking to us. It's shocking in the first century. Jesus teaches Torah to women. Again, shocking. You would say, well, I don't understand. What's the big deal here? I want you to understand the the posture toward women in the first century. It's just pessimistic at best and downright evil at worst. I'm going to give you some examples. You ready for this? I told them to put these on a slide because they're just more stark when you see them. The Jewish teaching, one of the Jewish teachings was the female is irrelevant in creation. This is the culture Jesus drops into. The Jewish culture says the female is irrelevant in creation. Here's another one. Woe to him whose children are females. How does that make you feel? How about this one? Women are invalid to testify in a trial. This is the general way that people think about women in the first century. Whoever teaches his daughter Torah teaches her obscenity. How dare you teach a woman Torah? But Jesus doesn't see women this way. Do you understand now why it's stark that Jesus is undoing something? Jesus welcomed women. He taught them. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, the first people to see him alive were women Given the statements that I just read to you, what Jesus should have said is, hey, go get the guys. They're trustworthy. I'm going to tell them something really, really cool that's going to change the course of human history. But he doesn't do that. He hands this message. He says, go tell them that I've been raised from the dead. So the first preachers of the gospel are women. And he does so even though the Jewish men are not going to listen to them. Do you see this? Of course, they get there and they don't listen to them. And this raising of women to be co-laborers in the kingdom project that God had begun becomes an integral value in the church. It becomes essential to the church that women have an elevated value from where they, they culturally were, that we were on our way back to this kingdom co-rule, this team rule. Because here's the deal. This body, the church, is a body of people who live now in light of the ultimate reality. We've talked about this before. We live now as if the end has come because for us it has. 
So we know that team rule is the way this is going, and we begin to live into that now. And so you would see this show up. So what you see all over Acts is women are welcomed and invited into co-leadership in the church as a demonstration of this team rule. And what you see in the New Testament is women are operating in all leadership roles of the church. They're apostles, they're prophets, they're evangelists, they're shepherds, they're teachers. Over and over and over, women hold all of these roles. They're allowed to have all of these roles. And then I want to read you a little bit of list, because I didn't want to bury you all in Scripture. But you have a woman named Priscilla who teaches alongside Paul and then co-leads a church. You have the four daughters of, the Philip, of Philip the Evangelist who are prophets. The letter to the Romans, arguably the, the most influential piece of theological writing in the New Testament, is put in the hands of a deaconess named Phoebe who takes the letter to the church in Rome and custom would say that she reads the letter and explains what it means, what Paul was saying to the church in Rome. So the first person to ever preach and exposit the letter to the Romans is a woman. In his letter to the, to, or at the end of the letter to the Romans, Paul writes a greeting to a whole bunch of people, both men and women, who occupy different roles in the church. One of the people Paul greets is a woman named Junia, who he says is outstanding among the apostles, that women are apostles. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul addresses two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who he refers to as people who contend for the gospel alongside him. Do you see where this is going? I'm going to keep reading some more. Are we having fun with this? I have more. There's a point behind all of this, I promise. 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and assumes that women will be leading in the church. They will be prophesying in the church. It's an assumption in 1 Corinthians. In Galatians, Paul writes that famous phrase that there is now no longer the division between male and female. That we don't set women aside. That this thing of team rule is now beginning again. And in Ephesians, Paul writes to address the way Christian marriages should work. And in the surrounding culture, for those of you who know, in the surrounding culture in the first century, women were expected to be completely faithful and subordinate to men. Men had no such restrictions. Men can sleep with whoever they want. They don't have to treat their wives kindly at all. And Paul says this. He says, husbands and wives submit to one another. We like the one a lot of times in our culture to say, well, wives submit to your husbands. It starts with husbands and wives submit to one another. That there's a mutual submission. It's team rule. Now, why have I taken all this time to go through this whole list? Like, why did I read all of that stuff to you? Why did I spend all the time trying to make sure that you see all the women doing the things in the New Testament? Because what I want you to see is that the church of Jesus Christ from its very beginning participates in co-rule. The church from its very beginning has gone back to the Genesis 1 picture of team rule. So when it comes to roles in the kingdom, getting to the question that was asked, when it comes to roles in the kingdom, roles are not decided in the church, they're not decided in the kingdom based on gender, Roles are decided in the kingdom based on character, 
calling and competence. Which means that God can call anyone he wants and gift anyone he wants to fill any role in the church. Every gift is given by God, irrespective of your gender. The woman I was describing at the very outset, many of you will know, is Beth Moore, who preaches very well and very clearly and can communicate the Bible so well that people come to faith. Many of you have probably done her Bible studies and you've grown in faith. And yet people say, you're a woman. What right do you have? You see, God gifts people because he intends them to use it. You know, we, see, we say frequently in this church that our children don't get a junior Holy Spirit, that they get the full Holy Spirit. Neither are women given a female Holy Spirit that has a subset of gifts. It doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit pours out gifts on anyone he likes, irrespective of who they are. And the New Testament record illustrates that the Holy Spirit is not concerned with distributing leadership just to men. Now, I know what happens in a lot of us, guys. You're probably a lot like me. As I say this, something happens inside of many of us, doesn't it? Something stirs up. Anxiety stirs up inside us. Insecurity stirs up inside us. How, if you start saying this and you start letting women do a lot of things, they're going to take over. They're going to run us over. What's his name? Mark Driscoll said that, that if you let women do things in the church, then you never have any men in the church. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. That's just brokenness the other direction. You see, team rule is not women are in charge and men are subservient, nor is it women are subservient and men are in charge. See, the church is supposed to be team rule, that we all operate based on our gifting and we all operate based on the ways that God has anointed and empowered us. And that we all bring our gift to the table. Some of you will go, wait, wait a minute, Derek. What about those prohibitions Paul makes? This all sounds fine. You're making this big case. What about the places where Paul explicitly says, I don't let women teach? What about those spots? Doesn't he say that we're not supposed to let women have authority over men? Doesn't, doesn't he say that women are supposed to be quiet? It's a great question, isn't it? What do you do with that? And just so we're on the same page, I'll read these for you guys. The verses we're talking about, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Have you seen that one? Or this one, 1 Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. In the face of the mountain of evidence that says God is about team rule, what do you do with the two stones over here that seem to say that that's not the case? What do you do with that? 
The whole trajectory of scriptures toward men and women working together as equals, and yet in these two cases, it seems like Paul is going the other direction. What do you do with that? How do we deal with that? Anytime you find a stack of evidence in the Bible that seems to communicate a truth that goes cover to cover, and then you run into one or two things where you're like, this seems to say something else. We don't throw away one or the other just because they make us uncomfortable. We say, hey, wait a minute, I need to pay attention to this. I need to take a look at this. What is this actually saying? Now, what's likely true, given the fact that the whole trajectory is one direction and then there's two pieces that say something else, what's likely happening in those two cases is that there's something happening that we don't understand. Do you know both of these are a letter? I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever, like, I mean, my phone is really loud now. I'm old. Um, but, like, my wife can sit across the room and hear what's happening on my phone. You guys have that, like, your phone is, like, cranked all the way up. So, like, I'm having a conversation, and she's over there answering for me. But you ever, you ever like, on the street or in the coffee shop, and you see somebody who's, like, having a phone conversation, and they got their earbuds in, and you can't hear the other side? But you're going, the things they're saying are really weird. They might be committing a crime. Maybe I should call the police. That's what's happening with this letter. We're only hearing half of the conversation. We don't understand who Paul is writing to and and what the context that Paul was writing to and what exactly is happening in these places that Paul is writing. And so we have to sort of go, wait a minute, the whole trajectory of the biblical narrative is toward team rule. What do we do with these two places where it seems like Paul is saying something else? I would start there and say, maybe there's something we don't know. And it turns out that's actually the case. The one in 1 Corinthians, if you go back three chapters, where after Paul in 14 has said, women need to be silent, three chapters earlier he says, women will prophesy in the church. I'm not sure how you silently prophesy in the church. Maybe we'll try it here in a minute, okay? We'll just silently, all of us collectively, silently prophesy and we'll see what happens. So there's something we don't know here, right? Or what about uh, in 1 Timothy? What do we do with that? We can either decide Paul is a hypocrite, right? We can say, well, in chapter 11, he said, Women are going to be speaking in the church, but in chapter 14, he says women can't speak in the church. So we can go, well, Paul's just lost his mind. We could say, well, Paul is saying that, that women are allowed to do things, and he hands the letter to, uh, to the Romans, to Phoebe, a woman who's going to go share it with the church in Rome. But then he's telling the Corinthians not to talk, and he's, in, in, in Timothy, he's saying women have to be silent. So either Paul is a hypocrite or, and maybe we discard Paul's teaching because he says one thing over here and does a different over here, right? Isn't that what we tend to do with people? You say one thing, but you don't do the same thing. So we could either start there or maybe there's something we don't understand. And what I want to do is I want to show you what's happening in 1 Timothy 2 just so you can see this. Paul's highest priority in all of his mission is the preservation and the transmission of the gospel without fault. 
He doesn't want it to be tampered with. He doesn't want it to be tainted. And one of the ways that he does this is periodically to call on Christians to restrain themselves from their own freedom. If you read Romans, right? Yeah, you're free to eat stuff, but it's hurting the spread of the gospel here, so restrain yourself. Don't eat that food even though you're free to do so. Restrain yourself so that the gospel can go forward. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy as Timothy is leading the church in Ephesus. Now, if you know anything about Ephesus, Ephesus was the the birthplace and had a temple to the goddess Artemis, which is a fertility god. And so in the city of Ephesus, women would be coming out of this cult of Artemis. And in, in the cult of Artemis, the women had a lot of power, they had a lot of resource, and they had a lot of ability to just tell people what to do and to take control and to dominate over people. And so what Paul is saying is, I don't want women to show up in the room, take control of the meeting, and twist the message. So for a time being, I do not permit a woman to teach. They need to learn, and then they can teach. So I do not permit a woman to teach. Why? Because he, Paul says, I don't want them to dominate over, because that's always what the brokenness has done all throughout humanity, right? Genesis 3, you're going to contend over who's in charge. Paul says, I don't want that to spoil the message of the gospel. You know what, how you can know that's true? Check this out. The word that Paul uses. Uh, the word here that Paul uses to talk about, I do not permit a woman to assume authority over a man, is this word often tame. It often has a, a lot of different uses in Greek. Some of them are to murder, to master, to domineer over. It's a word that Paul doesn't use anywhere else. This is the only place that Paul uses that word. And Paul talks about how to exercise leadership, and he never uses that word. Paul talks about authority, never uses that word. Here he uses that word, why? Because Paul's concern is that the gospel would get twisted by women coming out of the cult of Artemis who would domineer over the men and take control and change the message. And Paul says, I don't want you to do that. Do not permit a woman to teach because the gospel is too important to let it get twisted. If you read all of 1 Timothy, read it in one sitting. What you'll discover if you read 1 Timothy in one sitting is that the whole thrust of the letter is about combating false teaching. And if you understand the context, you understand that Paul's not saying, hey, I don't permit women ever anywhere to teach or have any authority over men. Paul's saying, in this situation, women need to restrain themselves so that the gospel doesn't get twisted. I want, with that said, here's the thing, what I want to finish with. There's solid, clear, biblical evidence that God's desire is that the church would demonstrate team rule in the world. That's the trajectory of the whole thing. That new creation is going back to the wholeness that God put into creation at the beginning. And because this is true, I want to issue two challenges today. I think this is really important. I think this is really important. I want to issue a challenge to the women in this church. If God has called you and gifted you 
in a way, you need to occupy the space God has carved out for you. I think culture has taught you that the way forward is to shrink back and make yourself small, make yourself fit into the spaces that people will allow you to fit in. But this church and the church as a whole and the world around us needs to see a woman who is called and gifted and empowered by God to occupy the space that he's made for you. We need you. We don't need you to domineer over us. We need you to take your place. When you just stop being small and take the place that God has carved out for you. Because we all lose. We all lose if you don't do the thing God has called you to do. We all lose. I need you to step out and take your space. The second challenge I want to issue is to the men. I'm one of us. And I will say... For many of us, when we hear about women stepping into their spaces, insecurity rises up in us. What if I lose my spot? What if they're better than I am? And so for a long time, we try to keep women out of the spaces. Maybe not deliberately, but we sort of cooperate with the ways that the world will keep women out of the spaces that God has called them to occupy. We just collaborate with evil. We wouldn't call it that. And we're afraid that somehow we're going to get lost in the shuffle. That if we call women up, that we're going to get lost. But here's the deal. Jesus showed us how to operate with power. And the way Jesus operates with power is he lifts the powerless. He gives of himself to raise up those who cannot raise themselves up. And then we need to be people who raise up women who God has called. I mean it. I need us to hear it. That we would be people, when we see a woman who is called and gifted, we get out of the way. And we trust that God has a purpose for that. My challenge to you is that we would use the power that we have to lift the weak. Listen, the body of Christ needs this. It needs everybody to play their role. And then we've had a power for a long, long time, and we need to use it to lift up those who are powerless. And if that makes you uncomfortable... If that makes the insecurities and anxieties stir up in you, I need you to be courageous enough to take steps like emotionally focused where you begin to understand the broken ways you relate to people because of your emotional stuff. This thing called the body of Christ is designed to be way more powerful than we have allowed it to be. And the time is now that that stops. That's my challenge all of us, that we would be a people who are empowered to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel, because it's so good. It's so good. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today. 
for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.